edition of the Canadian Crew Podcast. I'm Jorge Castillo. A new edition of the Hot Dogs Film Festival gets going this Thursday, May 27. This edition includes 230 features from 58 countries, among them films by Joe Berlinger, Alex Gibney and Nick Bromfield. Ahead of the event, the Canadian crew had the opportunity to talk with the festival's Canadian programmer, Aisha Jamal. We discussed selection criteria, common mistakes, and how to capture a programmer's attention. Enjoy. All right, Aisha Jamal, thank you for doing this with the Canadian crew. Uh, I'm very happy to be here. Well, if you could tell us, uh, what do you do for hot dogs? Uh, I'm actually one of the Canadian Spectrum programmers. So along with Alex Wogalski and Mariam Zaidi, we program all the Canadian films for hot dogs. And how long have you been doing this? This is my second year. Last year I was associate programmer and this year I'm Canadian programmer. Tell me a little bit, what does your job entitles? Uh, as a programmer, what I do is that I watch the submissions of the films, um, only the Canadian films in my case, and along with my two colleagues, we discuss the films that have been submitted. Every Canadian film and hot dogs gets viewed twice mm -hmm. by two different programmers. Um, we have meetings every few weeks, and then we discuss the films and try to make a selection based on themes, subject matters, and so on. So we watch close to 400 films each. Mm -hmm. And twice. I mean, two no, different people two will different watch. People, right. Yeah, every Canadian film gets seen twice. Okay. So, but I imagine these are concentrated in a period of time like this. Yeah, this doesn't go all year. So, basically, once submissions close, we start watching maybe around the middle or end of November. Mm -hmm. And then by the beginning of February, we have our selection. Okay, perfect. So, you mentioned 400 dogs uh, average that mm -hmm. you, you have watched. And how many Canadian dogs make it to the film festival? This year we're showing 53 Canadian films, mm -hmm. uh, that means 25% of the festival is Canadian content, but that's a mix of feature, medium length and shorts, so it's not all feature documentaries that we're showing. Right. Um, those 53 then divide down into features, mid-length and shorts. And co-productions I imagine as well fall into this category. Right? Sorry, which ones? Co-productions. Co-productions. We have two co-productions oh, okay. in the Canadian section, so out of 53, two are co-productions. Okay, yeah. excellent. Now, I imagine there is like a standard selection criteria, right? So what are the boxes, the boxes that need to be checked for a film to, let's call it, move to the next stage? Well, in the Canadian section, it has to be Canadian content or mm -hmm. Canadian director or producer. So we're pretty loose, it seems, in the Canadian section about what defines something as Canadian. Mm -hmm. So if your subject is Canadian, if one of the filmmakers is Canadian, if your producer is Canadian, you can submit to the Canadian section. Then from there on, it actually is not so easy to just put your finger on it and say it's this one thing that really we're looking for, but it's sort of a combination of different things. So for example, you're looking for things that are very contemporary. Mm -hmm. So if there's an issue that's been sort of circulating in the world for the last few years and someone makes a great film about it, we want to see it. Uh, we also look for films by filmmakers that we know and that we follow because fans of that filmmaker may want to come to the festival and see their new work. Right. We also look for, sometimes you get films that are the same subject covered by various filmmakers and then we look for craft or a more interesting way of telling the story. Mm -hmm. We also look for innovation in storytelling, for sure. So there's various things that will really hook you onto a film. But it's the three of us who watch it and who really try to sort of make sure that we keep an eye out for story as much as we do for craft. Right. Now, I imagine the documentary, unlike any other mm -hmm. kind of film, is much, has, has the pulse on the, on the 
let's say, the main trends that are affecting the world. So what do you notice as common elements that there will be in the, 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 that was, that you could find on the films that were submitted to this year's hot dogs? Mm, some common elements, that's a very good story. Do you mean more like subject matter-wise or technically? Yeah, it's not subject to start with. I think that there's some that we kind of see, especially, let's say, we have a few indigenous content um, films and I do see that some of the things that have been coming out of the Truth and Reconciliation Commission for example um, thinking about the 60s scoop we have a film called A Birth of a Family which is mm -hmm. about the 60s scoop and that's the subject matter that I've, I've been seeing come up in Canadian dialogue about society and history in the last couple of years so it's awesome to see that there's a film now that actually addresses this because we haven't had one yet mm -hmm. that had been submitted to us so that's one that you can kind of see is in the popular imagination or popular dialogue right now um, so indigenous rights we have another one called the road forward um, that also deals with that I actually saw the road forward ah you did what did you think uh, well I'll, I'll post the review um, I, I thought it was ambitious in terms of trying of the of the number of topics that it was trying to, trying to cover, plus make it make it a musical of sorts. It's uh, quite a tall order. It's a very tall order, but it's very much about indigenous identity as well. Yes, so that's something that you know you see kind of as I said. That's something that's been sort of in the last couple of years a topic of conversation and a very important one. So we see it reflected in some of the films that we've picked mm -hmm. to make sure that that remains part of the popular discussion. Um, uh, that's one that certainly I think you see reflected. Um, if I were to think, what are some of the other subjects that... Well, we also have a film called My Brother, My, My Enemy, My Brother, which is about an Iranian and an Iraqi refugee and the friendship that they both form after they come to Canada. And I think that's something as well, thinking about the region and thinking about how much turmoil there is in the Middle East. Yeah. We're looking out for films that also touch on that subject matter of refugees. Um, so yeah, you see that reflected in some of the films that we've picked in the Canadian section as well. Right. Yeah. Now, I can imagine how uh, the natural state of a documentary will be a feature length. Would you, you probably disagree with that? I definitely disagree. I feel like you see content sometimes that's definitely meant as a short yeah. because you feel like perhaps there isn't much more there or you feel like it really lends itself to a particular angle, a particular sort of you know, um, story package, which mm -hmm. is much more of a short film than a feature. Because we often see feature films where you think that would be a great short film, but you really stretched it too far right. and it's not working as a feature. So I don't think content naturally falls into a feature. Okay. Yeah. yeah, that's perfect. Now, um, I was surprised to see many medium-sized films mm -hmm. selected. That's uh, like a 60-minute 60, 60 kind of... Uh, yeah, I think a medium-length medium doc is something, I think, above 20 minutes that okay. is below 55 minutes or 50 minutes. Okay. That's a medium-length doc. Was it hard to, uh, is it hard to fit them in the schedule? Do you know what? We actually have a programmer that specializes in that. I think mm -hmm. there's a couple of people who really just do the medium length. And because it is such a specialty length almost, we have a medium length award as well. Mm -hmm. um, and those are harder to place, you're right. Uh, we only, in the Canadian section, I think we picked two mm -hmm. that are medium length films. And you often have to then sort of do a little bit of a juggling act. You're like, okay, this film is 40 minutes long. We need something that's about 20 minutes long. If you do something much longer, like two 40 minute, two 45 minute films, doesn't usually work very well. Right. So it's an art form of its own. And we as programmers in the Canadian section don't do a lot of medium length programming, but we have specialty programmers for that. Okay. 
Now, from a technical perspective, is there any common elements that you have seen in the films that were submitted? Yeah, you know, you always do. You always see that there's trends. Mm -hmm. For example, drones. I don't want to see any more freaking drones. So it's many like shots of drones. Gratuitous drones, where you almost are like, okay, you know what? It would make sense if we needed to understand the lay of the land. But then there is like, why don't we open it with a drone shot? And you're like, you know what? We don't need to. So you do see often where you're like, okay, wow, this technology is beautiful, but it's overused. Sliders, people love sliders right now. So there's like these beautiful shots of smooth pans mm. using a slider and you're like, oh man, this is really becoming a little bit cliche. Wait a second, the slider, but the more than the drone, the slider shows a little bit of more. Sliders can effort. be very, very nice and can <laughs> yes. be very beautiful and they give a lot of movement mm -hmm. if your location is static, right? Or your interview is static, for right. sure. But you're starting to notice it. When you notice after watching so many films that there are these sort of like techniques, mm -hmm. they can be well used, but then they can be an overuse. Okay. You don't need to introduce every interview with a slide shot. Okay. Absolutely, yes. I'm a little bit of a traditionist sometimes where I'm like, I'm okay with static camera work. No, it's my fact, now that you mention it, I, I certainly have caught on the drones, but I don't think I have caught on the sliders just yet. Pay attention, there sometimes are there all of these sort of like technical things that if you're watching so many in a row, you start to notice, you know? Now, have you also noticed a particular filmmaker that was clearly influencing um, these uh, new documentary filmmakers? Hmm. I think that there are always films that you see that you think are making an impact. For example, um, when I saw Joshua Oppenheimer's film... Um, the Art of Killing? The, yeah, exactly. You see that a lot more hybrid documentaries all of a sudden are getting cleared and are coming out because it worked very well and that became a very big film in that sense for its style. Um, because of that hybrid mix that worked you know, with music, with narrative, with imagination, reality, all of that. So you kind of can see then for a number of years you'll see more films come out that actually dare to mm -hmm. use that more. So yeah, you can see films influence in these big films that are making a difference and that are sort of paving the way. But if I could name one for this year, oh, that'd be really hard. Now, funny you mentioned Oppenheimer because it's hard to pull off something like that. Oh my God, it's very difficult. It's very difficult. You saw The Road Forward, which really attempts to sort of mix that right. as well, you know, mix activism with music, with, you know, all kinds of other things. So yeah, that's, it's quite a feat when you do it well. Right. Yeah. Now, um, you mentioned this is your second year. Yeah. Um, would you, which which uh, film that you can take credit of discovering are you feeling particularly proud of on your first year as a Canadian programmer? This year? Oh, uh, oh that's, you know what, I don't want to disadvantage anybody, well, but let's if, year, let's say, one, if there was a film I did champion, I would say Maison de Bonheur. Mm -hmm. That was a film that we watched in the Canadian section and there was a lot of discussion around it. There were definitely supporters of the film outside of the Canadian section at the festival who know Sofia's work. Her name is Sofia Bodanovitz and she's a Toronto filmmaker. But um, in our section I definitely feel like I was a champion of that film because I really liked it and there was something about it that really drew me in. Um, and I really felt like I had to go out to bat for it. Right. Uh, I have seen a few, and I'm a few of the pre-screenings of Dogs. Yeah. Uh, one that called my attention. One that called my attention was um, Shiners. Yeah. It was, it was particularly. I mean, it was an in, incredibly simple premise. Yeah. But well executed. Yeah. I was. I was you know what? Well. We talked about that too. We said, you know, it's one of those films that you can go see with your kids, mm -hmm. and it's a film that you can see that's not too rough. 
it has its part, especially that, uh, you know, the woman who is the shoe shiner in, I think, Peru. In Bolivia. Yeah. Bolivia, I'm sorry. She actually has a bit more of a rough background story. But if you think about the New York character or if you think about the Tokyo character, these are sort of really personalities that you get to explore that aren't too, too heavy. So I feel like it was a great film to have in the mix for people who don't want to see heavy-duty, almost wrist-slasher-type narratives. Right. And I was talking to a few people who were asking me to recommend films that they thought, that they said, I want to see films that I'm not going to be depressed after. And like, I immediately thought of Shiners. Mm -hmm. And I thought, oh, that's great. You know, films serve a function sometimes in a program. You want to have a variety. And that one is for us a film that, as you said, simple premise, but works really well and is well-executed and personalities that you actually can be interested in. This is probably not going to be for good uh, podcasting, yeah. but um, my wife is the kind of people who will ask me to take her to uh, a documentary yeah. that will leave her depressed. That will or won't? That won't leave yeah. her depressed at, at hot dogs. And last year, in one of these uh, yeah. circumstances, we went to see um, a dog. It was an international dog, maybe you called yeah. it. I can't remember the name, but it was basically about a lady who locked herself in a house and only had apples to eat and oh, she, ended up, yeah. she ended up dying of hunger. <laughs> yeah. My wife, that was the wrong pick. It was completely the oh wrong Oh my pick. god. That was brutal. You should have spoken to a programmer before you did I that. I totally should have done that. Yeah, no, that definitely was. I even remember that one. What was it called? I, I mean, it had a depressing it. title. It was, it was yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and yet, I, I completely missed that. Anyway. Now, one of the things I have noticed in uh, modern yeah. documentary filmmaking is that research yeah. seems to be lacking more often than not. Huh. I don't know if that's true as a, as a, as a, as a base statement. It's a bold statement. Sorry? It's a very bold statement. Yeah, yeah, I don't know if that gels with my observation, but please, go on. Oh, I just haven't... I, I, a documentary I won't mention yeah. um, about this character it seems to be focusing in only one of these, the, the personalities of this character, but none of the other two, because the other two will have been too hard to do research on. Mm -hmm. And this is not something that, not an yeah. isolated case. I have come across mm -hmm. a few documentaries in which I have the feeling that they could have used more research. Mm -hmm. And it's not something entirely uncommon, because I have noticed this is a yeah. thing. I don't want to say a trend, but it mm. has happened, I guess. I don't know, but I think the reason I disagree is that I think that that's not new. Okay. I've seen documentaries from various ages, from the 60s, 70s, 80s, where I'm like, well, they could have researched a bit. Mm -hmm. Or they could have really made an effort to flesh out the story more. So I don't see it as a contemporary trend. Okay. I see it as a problem with documentary in general. That you will run across documentaries from various decades where you think like, okay, they needed to go back to like the research table or to the development stage. But is is you would you say that research is just left on the side because it's either too difficult, too time consuming, too too boring? I just don't believe in it as a blanket statement. Okay. I don't believe that this is true of most films. Okay. I think this is true of films that you'll notice where there is a hole and that's as I said not something new to documentary or new to like our modern times, mm -hmm. but I do think that there are films where you think, okay, you need to like go back and research is difficult and research is hard and it's time consuming and sometimes directors make creative choices and they believe that they are more interested in one character over the others. So sometimes that choice might not be the right one for viewers who think, wait a second, <laughs> I want to hear the other side. Mm -hmm. So that does happen and I don't think that's uncommon. I don't think it's anything special to today. Okay, perfect. Now, um, 
you say, uh, as a documentary yeah. filmmaker who's starting out, what would you say will a simple act that will give somebody submitting a documentary, let's call it a leg up, like a, something as simple as presented in the right format or doing something right that will actually get you... Do you know what? One of the things I notice about young filmmakers or filmmakers who are just starting out, mm -hmm. sometimes finishing school, is that they really privilege technology sometimes over content and over story. And that drives me a bit insane. You can make something look beautiful like a perfume commercial, but that literally means you're not going to hold my interest for the full length of your film. Mm -hmm. So I think you have to remember that in documentary, story is really important. That style definitely counts. You know, you don't want to show crap to an audience that thinks, whoa, how did that film make it into the festival? But I, just like perhaps you, have seen films that have been shot on very crappy formats, like cell phones and so on, but the content is so convincing mm -hmm. that you will stay with the film. Yeah. So I think you really, truly need to focus on good story. So your technology might be up, you might have the latest technology, you might have a drone, but just be careful that your story is tight and that you're telling a really interesting, convincing, perhaps unique story. As a programmer, have you not have you scored in yourself some kind of uh, an unconscious and subconscious bias that you didn't know you had, like some like you feel yourself leaning to a certain kind of thoughts that you you weren't necessarily expecting this. I think that it's kind of true. I think as a programmer you come with your own background and your own interests to mm -hmm. film, right? So I certainly find I have an unconscious bias that I want to pay more attention to films about certain subject matters. Right. So I find myself giving a bit more lenience sometimes. But that's the good thing about programming in a team. Your team will then, they don't have the exact same interests as me. So they'll be like, okay, I see what you mean, but consider this. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I am gravitate towards social justice documentaries. I gravitate towards narratives of immigrants and refugees. I gravitate towards like, I don't know, I like stories about the downtrodden and the downbeaten. I really like depressing films. Mm -hmm. So I feel like I have to be sometimes told, whoa, 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 come back from the edge, you know? Yeah. But I will pay attention to those narratives, sometimes a little bit more than other things. Okay. Like I like musical docs, I like documentaries of different types, but I certainly have an interest. Absolutely. Now, um, is there any Canadian filmmaker that you will be you feel inclined to give her, give a, give him or her atten particular attention because you of recent or in the recent years some some somebody who's producing quality quality content but it doesn't necessarily hasn't jumped to the to the big time to the big time yes hmm. yeah that's a very good question I mean, every year you see films where you think, wow, you have the makings of an interesting filmmaker and I hope you continue. Uh, one of the films I saw this year called um, Integral Man yeah. is, about a, um, is made by a Toronto filmmaker who's also an architect and an artist. And the film is very beautiful and he shot a lot of sequences on 35mm that are very artistic. But it's also a documentary that tells the story of a man and his house and the story of the design of the house. But I thought that he had such a wonderful eye and a really great approach that I really liked, which sort of uses this very beautiful soundscape that's very artsy, mm -hmm. and uses these long sequences of just exploring the spaces of the house, but then also is able to tell a story that you'd be interested in. Then weaving all of those strands together in a film that I think is very beautiful to this look at. This is the James Stewart uh, doctor. Yes, exactly, the, the math book author. Yeah. So I think that's a film where I think, wow, this shows craft and it shows good storytelling, so I'm interested to see what he does next. 
We also have a film by a filmmaker, Daniel Rohr, who's had films at Hot Dogs before. Mm -hmm. He had a short film last year called Conversations with a Dead Prime Minister. And then a few years ago, we had a film called Surviving Roe, which was about um, survivors of sexual abuse in a northern um, indigenous community. And he's a really interesting filmmaker, and he's back this year with his first feature film, which is about a pygmy tribe in Uganda uh, that plays music. Um, so I think he has an eye, he has a way of telling stories that is really interesting, you know. So that's another person that I think hasn't hit the big time, but mm -hmm. is certainly on his way. I also love Sofia Bodanovitz's film. This is her second feature. I haven't seen her first one, but she has a very sort of unique voice that comes out in her film. Um, I'm curious to see what she makes after this and how okay. her career will continue. So these are people that are early on that I think have something to say and something to tell and I'm curious to see what will come. Okay. Now, what importance do you give to structure uh, when, when evaluating a documentary? Oh, structure is important. I mean, you don't want to lose your audience. You want to make sure you hook them within a certain amount of time. You want to be able to sort of tell a story that feels that there's some form of completion at the end or leaves you in some form of note. You know, it could be a note that doesn't wrap everything up, but leaves you to think about more themes. So I think structure is important. It doesn't come in just one style, though. It's not like I prescribe saying you need to use a three-act structure in the documentary. Mm -hmm. No, I think sometimes it's interesting when people experiment and actually lay out their stories in different ways. Um, Sophia's film, for example, is told in segments, in 30 different segments. So that's not necessarily a very um, traditional structure. So. Yeah, experiment with structure, but do it knowingly and do it also really consciously and really know what the effect is on the audience. You don't want to alienate people. We're a festival that's meant for audiences to come see the films. Mm -hmm. So you need to be able to be conscious of what the viewer experience is like. I have talked to this about this recently, uh, just now, but I was wondering if there are any other tropes that you will ask for documentary filmmakers to retire. <laughs> Is, are there tropes that documentary filmmakers should retire? I personally, um, I personally could use without the, you know, when they do this, uh, well, you know, talking head documentary. Yeah. But before or after of the introducing, they just move their head up, down, here, there. No, they're not really saying anything, but it's kind of uh, trying to make the presentation a little more dynamic. Yeah. The, at this point, yeah, I get it. Just yeah, it doesn't on. bug me, but I get what you're saying. You feel like it's like a stylistic convention that people have somehow invented and now everybody's using as a way to sort of situate people. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, not even, I don't think, no, Errol Morris, yeah, he completely uses that. But yeah. <laughs> and Errol Morris gets away with a lot of things, you know? Yeah, I, I absolutely agree. Um, what would you say, outside volume, I'm not even sure if you agree that they are comparable, um, the selection, the Canadian selection of hot dogs compared to the Canadian selection of, uh, say, TIFF. Mm -hmm. Is, are they even comparable? Is there any difference that you can perceive? I know that obviously volume is, yeah. is considerably different, but is there, is, there, is there a thematic or is there an approach? that you will, you will mention in terms to differentiate. I think it's very difficult to compare Canadian fiction film and drama to Canadian documentary. I think the history of both is very different. The numbers of films that we make in both is very different. And I think the kind of emphasis we as an industry in Canada put on both is very different. There is a much longer, 
mm, I wouldn't say longer, that's not the right word, but I think a deeper tradition of documentary and much more of an emphasis. Our National Film Board had a lot of emphasis on documentary and animation, mm. right? So there was even a lot of government support for that. So I feel like I love Canadian fiction film, but I think it needs more help. And it needs more work in a sense. So I think it's a completely different ball game that I don't even know how to start comparing the two worlds because the volume's different, the quality is different, the numbers are so different, you know? Because documentary filmmaking can be a more of a individual quest. Yes, because also I think that the amount of money, the amount of people is so different. Directing actors is different than working with real life subjects, mm -hmm. right? Although actors sometimes appear in documentaries, of course, and recreations and so on. So I think it's just a different ball game. And in Canada, I think we've really have put more emphasis on one over the other, very obviously. Oh, I absolutely, I certainly agree. Now, um did you, when, when uh, checking documentaries, mm -hmm. considering uh, documentaries to, to include uh, docs, do you, as, as a team, see documentaries that are not quite finished yet? Yes. Sometimes we see films that feel like they're early on in their cut, mm -hmm. and then you know they'll tell you if you see something in it and they can promise to finish it for the festival, you'll go for it. And sometimes you're like, you know what, I don't think you're there yet then you don't go for it. They might need another year or two, they might need another rounds of edits or whatever it may be. So yeah, it really varies. Sometimes you also know that these filmmakers have a track record mm -hmm. and that what you're seeing right now is going to be a beautifully finished film by the time of the festival. So you can trust that. Okay. But it's very difficult if it's someone that you haven't heard of, whose films you haven't seen before, who's giving you a film that's not really finished. So, you know, it's hard to put your trust in that. Mm -hmm. Now, how hard for it is for you to say, do you to say to somebody no this is not going to happen you're not going in oh my god it's so heartbreaking it's really difficult and like i did hear from other programmers in the past that the longer you do this the more you find you're turning away your own friends mm -hmm. so i'm starting to get glimpses of that because friends of mine submitted this year as well and the documentary community is it's Not small, big, yeah. yeah. I mean, it's big enough, but it's small in the in the Toronto context. So mm -hmm. you run into people. Um, it's only my second year. I haven't made any enemies. I hope, but it does happen. I think that with the years, people's feelings get hurt. You know, of course, you put so much of yourself, and you pour a lot of your time and your energy and your money into these films right. that it must hurt if your dream is to open at a specific festival if you get turned down. Mm -hmm. So yeah. I don't expect it's easy to get those news, and I often find I struggle having to face people where I'm like, oh yeah, your film didn't make it. All right. Yeah. Well, Aisha, thank you so much for talking to us. No, it was my pleasure. And well, all the best in this hot dogs. Yeah, hope to see you there. Thank you. Our thanks to Aisha Jamal. The new edition of the Canadian International Documentary Festival begins this Thursday 27 and will last until May 7th. We'll be covering hot dogs with daily reviews, so keep checking back for new content. Remember, you can reach us on Twitter at The Can Crew, on Facebook at The Canadian Crew page, or write us to The Canadian Crew email, all one word, on Gmail. Also, you can help us keep The Canadian Crew ad-free by contributing at gofundme.com slash The Canadian Crew. I'm Jorge Castillo. Until next time. <laughs>